Welcome to After Hours, conversations for music educators, presented by Amro Music. This is where we share ideas and work towards solutions to better serve your students. This week, Nick Averwater continues his conversation with Todd Shipley, Director of Arts Education for the Tennessee Department of Education. In this episode, they'll discuss the importance of developing a positive relationship with your local school board, proactive versus reactive advocacy, and much more. Our conversation was recorded February 14th, 2022, and it's broken up into two episodes, and this is part two. I want to talk a little bit with you about school boards. I know we've we've touched on it a little bit, but they tend to be kind of another layer separated from perhaps the day-to-day administrator. They may or may not have come from education and have that education background, but still very influential uh, nonetheless. And so I would love to hear just your thoughts on what that proactive, positive relationships and those behaviors that go along with that relationship as it relates to a music or arts educator and their local school board. Yeah, and I will say just, you know, as a former educator in the classroom, I I don't think I ever felt empowered to reach out to a school to a school board member. Um, even though I was a citizen of the the town that I was living in, I certainly had ac- access to them as a voter in their district. But uh, sometimes teachers aren't the – I mentioned earlier how sometimes we have to figure out who the best mouthpiece for our message is. And sometimes it's not the teacher. Sometimes it will be. Um, sometimes a lot of districts will place emphasis on, on dissuading teachers from, uh, from engaging with school board members because sometimes that can create a really tenuous relationship. So no Knowing that sometimes the community and the parent group may be your best ag- advocacy tool with school board members. And also knowing you're exactly right that most all of them, uh, I shouldn't say most all of them, but some of them uh, may not have an education background or, or you know, an, an education uh, field background, I should say, in that they don't maybe they haven't been in the classroom day to day. They really don't know what it looks like. So sometimes we do have to break it down for them and also understand, too, that our messages might be different. The, the the end goal of our messages is usually always the same, right? But the delivery might have to be different for that audience versus another more informed audience. Uh, you know, you you might not be able to use the same lingo. You might not be able to use the acronyms that people don't know or, or the content-specific language that people don't know. You know, it, it could be that people don't know what concert performance assessment is. Uh, it could be that people don't know what a visual art gallery is. I mean, that's possible, right? So we have to figure out the ways that you change the language to match your audience based on their level of understanding and their background and their context. And so that can also help your parents because your parents are, you know, will be voters in your school board's district. So school board members should be really receptive and open um, to, to meeting with those parents and to hearing their concerns and to hear about how they can make the student experience better. And so planting those seeds, sharing the positive things, not, and also this works for everybody, not just school board members, but, you know, we tend to be advocates when it's beneficial for us to do so, when there's something that's on the line that we've got to fight for. Like I mentioned earlier, it, the job doesn't stop there. It's important to make sure that we highlight the positive things because when we get to a moment that we have a negative issue that we need some real help with, uh, it's much easier to see eye to eye and for for your voice to be heard if you've already established that positive relationship and don't get known as the, the complaining teacher, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'll share just my personal experiences. You know, one of my favorite parts about my job is that 
You know, I probably go to 10 or 12 school board meetings a year as part of the NAM Best Communities Recognition. You know, we have mm-hmm. districts that are recognized. And I'm a, I'm always amazed how easy it is to get on the school board agenda. Usually on the district website, they just have like the, the superintendent secretary or somebody to email to request time. And I usually just send like this really brief email that says, do you mind if I have five minutes at the beginning of the next school board meeting because you all were recognized as a NAM Best Community for Music Education, and I just want to come and celebrate that. And uh, I always get a yes. It's super easy. And what amazes me, a couple of things that stick out. Number one, there is rarely, rarely (laughs) another person at the school board meeting. So, you know, I end up typically getting about five or ten minutes of just FaceTime with all of the school board members. Hello, my name is. And then so that always amazes me. Number two is is, um, I have had the most frequent comment I hear is, we always love positive things because people are only here when they want to complain. I mean, I hear that yeah. over and over and over again, and they smile and take we take pictures, and it's so easy. Um, but just that little thing, you know, the NAM Best Communities for Music Education is a big deal, but just connecting that dots you could do with all state, all region, concert assessment, concert, you know, the performance, uh, marching band success, just recapping the success of your year, how many students got scholarships. I mean, and just simply saying, here's all the successes we had, and we couldn't have done it without the support of our administrators and our school board. Thank you. You're a big part of this program, and we appreciate everything that you do. Exactly. It's yeah. simple like that, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, while you were mentioning that, and, and it's very true what you said, you know, these people often will remark the, the similar things about they always love when someone comes to share something good because when they're showing up, it's usually for something bad uh, or something, you know, negative that's that's going on in the, the schools or something like that. Um, it got me to thinking, too, you know, recently we're in the middle of legislative session. In my job, I'm technically an executive branch employee, so I don't really uh, work at all with our legislature. Um, but one of the things, I, I keep tabs on what's going on up the hill, and I uh, did notice that there were a couple of resolutions that were presented from one um, area legislator, specifically recognizing students that were selected for uh, Allstate. They're Allstate instrumental and, and choral vocalists uh, that were selected for Allstate. There were some other things that were art-specific as well, but that's the one that, that floats to my mind. And so that caused me to think, too, is that what probably happened there is some parent or some educator in that area reached out to that legislator and told them about this and that that's a way that they're going to celebrate that. That's really, really strong, and, and that's that should be a... Um, a lesson for all of us that, hey, just simply tell people what good is going on in our schools. It may take us five minutes extra to write an additional email to get to a legislator or somebody else, but simply, you know, uh, and I think this is an overall advocacy uh, lesson too in that uh, the, the only real negative downside from asking is just being told no. That's really always the worst that can happen. Uh, and so understanding that no also sometimes doesn't mean no forever it just means no right now and that that's why we've got to keep going so maybe you know if you weren't successful in getting the school board member to come to your concert this time uh keep extending the invitation maybe when their calendar's open they'll you'll see them there someday 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And and you're exactly right about our elected officials. Um, you know, that was another thing that we do as part of the NAM Best Communities. And I was amazed that, quite frankly, that also was pretty easy uh, because that elected official, that they have somebody on their staff that that's what they do. Yeah. You know, they generate these letters and these certificates and these reach outs on and these letters of congratulation on behalf of the elected official. And they want to know about these things. Uh, and again, now you have another advocacy tool, whether it's like you said, the, the recognition or a letter of congratulations, whatever it is. So you have another great advocacy tool to promote your program. Yeah, exactly. So, Todd, one of the other things I want to talk about, we've spent a lot of time talking about proactive advocacy, and I think that is so important. And you made a comment about, you know, we have to ensure that that a lot of our advocacy is positive so that when something does happen – that's not the first time we make our voice heard. And of course, uh, we had a little bit of an example of reactive advocacy. I, I don't want to go into all the details of this specifically, but I think it set an example of there is a need at times for us to be reactively advocates, and there's probably a right and a wrong way for us to do that. So when are some of the times that we do need to be reactive advocates, and what are the right and the wrong ways to handle those examples? Well, you know, generally these kinds of things come about when decisions are made without uh, without a lot of transparency and without a lot of knowledge, uh, or something hits the news, uh, something gets put in the paper that we're not ready for, um, and so oftentimes that sparks a lot of really intense negative emotions, I should say. Um, and so that's kind of what I mentioned earlier about you know we have to we have to approach advocacy. From a really even keel, and we can't let negative emotions guide our approach because what ends up happening is that we all we get into the to blame games, we we get into petty fights and bickering on on Twitter and Facebook and in comments and things like that, and that really doesn't serve anybody, right? It's not doing anything to who we're trying to advocate to, you know, our target audience. It's it's not uh, certainly not really getting us a lot of uh, footing in terms of asking for better outcomes and, and circumstances. And so we really have to take that knowledge and just always make sure that we're speaking factually and that we are we're investigating and revealing all the facts and uncovering all the facts before we start going after whatever the 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 moment happens to bring about, you know. Um, so, you know, if, if we arm ourselves with the data, then we can start to have informed conversations, but also knowing, too, that we we frequently have to to reach across the aisle and talk with people that we maybe don't normally talk to um, sometimes to, to be able to to get opinions heard and to also make sure that we are are willing. You know, you mentioned thirty thirty thousand uh, foot view. Sometimes as arts educators, music educators, we we only get you know a small slice of the pie that we we see. Uh, and we have to understand there's more to to the story. There's more to education. There's more to our students' lives, and and it's about making ours our area, you know, arts education and music education being one of the important things in our students' lives. But there's more to life than that. So we have to kind of uh, stand back a little bit and, and make sure that we're surveying everything and, and getting the true picture of what's really transpiring, arming ourselves with the facts, and then figuring out those advocacy stories, those those great stories from kids. And, and I will say, you know, 
we have to, to sometimes use the voice of our kids, you know, getting getting them to give us a quote or, uh, you know, reflecting after a concert about, you know, why that concert was important or what how that concert made them feel uh, when the audience was clapping for them. That Those are really strong things that we can arm with the data points to to figure out how to approach things from a, a very even keeled uh, non-emotional way, especially when it's being reactive to something that's just dropped. And that's the thing, right, is when we, that's part of why I don't like social media is when we we learn something on social media, uh, it always causes a reaction. That's generally what social media is there for, is to cause a reaction. And so we have to understand that that is a negative, uh, negative thing for advocacy efforts because it charges us in emotional ways, and that's never how we're going to produce better outcomes. Yeah, that's some, that's some great insight. And I think you're 100% right that, that that's the goal of social media is to generate reaction. That's, <laughs> that's how that company makes their money. Um, and, and oftentimes we can do that by dropping off context either before or after and giving a very narrow picture of yes. perhaps what was said and what was done without understanding the full context. And maybe that little sliver is accurate and representative, but oftentimes I have found that it, it is lacking key details mm-hmm. uh, on the front end or the back end that really bring a holistic approach as to why a decision was made. So you are correct. We And, it, and it's hard because... Um, we're all products of art and, and music and education, and we believe in it passionately. Many of us are where we are today because of that. And so when we hear or read these things, it can trigger that fight-or-flight mentality, that emotion associated with it, because it's a key part of who we are and what brought us to where we are today. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, I think e- even people that are not currently in the arts education and, – and you know, when I was in the classroom, I always kind of felt this way. I, I really viewed that I knew that I wasn't going to have a class of 100% music majors that left my, my high school band program. Uh, I didn't expect that. And I didn't think that that ever should be my goal. Um, you know, I might be lucky to have a few that would go on to college. But what we were doing is that we were preparing kids for life. You know, uh, there's an educator in in this state, retired now, who frequently says you, says, you know, he doesn't teach music. He teaches life, but he uses music as the vehicle to teach. And that's Joel Denton. Uh, many of you, you may, I think he might have been on this program before or, or at least with some other things that you're doing. But um, But it's very true in that you know, music is just the part of it, right? Like we're, we're, we're arming our kids to, to have better lives through music and to be consumers and, and to be, uh, in whatever field they go into and knowing that that also creates advocacy, right? Like hopefully you're, if you are graduating a student who goes on to become a lawyer or a doctor and has a family and, and the cycle continues and they produce more band kids or more choir kids, uh, and it just keeps continuing, but hopefully that's training an advocate, an advocate right there. Um, and, and knowing that, you know, it's, it's not, you know, that's the thing is that we are so close to the problem sometimes we have to remember that we're going to react uh, differently than maybe some other some of our other colleagues might yeah yeah great insight one of the things I would just love to us to kind of unpack one more time I know we kind of whipped through them but 
you know, two or three of your favorite resources that you just think every educator needs to have, it needs to be bookmarked, and then, then perhaps, you know, the one or two most important things that they can find on those resources just to help our educators quickly navigate to really what you view as the most important of the most important. That's a, that's a great question. I, I will say, and I'm going to lump kind of several things into one to, to my first wish there. <laughs> uh, and, and that would be where to go to find pertinent education laws, policies, and, and rules and regulations. And that's from, every, you know, you can, you can generally forget about this, this stuff at the federal level. But knowing where to go in your state to, to find the, the, the Tennessee Education Code or, or wherever you're listening from, uh, you know, go if that's your Department of Education website or your General Assembly website or, or somewhere else that you can go to find the education laws. And then also if you have other kinds of uh, agencies like a State Board of Education like we do here in Tennessee, they have their own set of rules and policies that do have the weight of law um, and are considered statutory. So you, would, uh, you, you can go to their websites and usually find that. But then also your own local Board of Education is going to have their own sets of policies. So sometimes that, those just might affirm some of the other policies that are above it. But uh, understanding where to go to find those would be kind of my first recommendation in, in a toolkit. The second would be the Arts Education Data Project. You know, we are here we are four years later after launching this, and I, I would say that we are still – we still don't have um, – a critical mass in terms of people knowing about the resource and, and people using the resource. So it's a constant goal of ours to keep training people to use that resource and just knowing that it exists and how to use it is crucial for a, an educator. And then um, at the, you know, data and, and national level, like I, I mentioned earlier, the arts ed scan uh, or arts ed search rather uh, being a, a really important uh, vehicle and, and place to find research and to find th those those key sound bites about, you know, why uh, why music and the arts uh, impact brain development and things like that. You know, any kinds of those kinds of research studies can be found there and are linked there. And so if you need something to support that point, you can go find it there usually. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's just three wonderful, great resources uh, that, that you know, we all need to know about within our respective states. It sounds like the first one, it sounds like that kind of defines the parameters that everybody's operating in, the local schools with the district, the school board. And is that really what you're trying to understand and unpacking uh, all of those policies? Yeah. And I think it also just goes back to understanding the facts, right? Like those are the laws of the land. So if you if you are speaking uh, out against something that's clearly already written in state code, then you know knowing what what's there that's either affirming and, and helping our situation, or maybe there's something there that's causing a barrier for our students. Then it knows how we have to target our advocacy. And then you know I, I'm going to throw in a fourth one. I'm going to take a liberty and do this. Um, your professional associations, you know, membership in your professional associations is really critical. Um, local, regional, state, national. Um, sometimes our schools don't pay for it. I understand that. But your investment in, in joining those things are, are really crucial as, a, as an educator, as a music educator. Be a member of those organizations, and it creates a network. And the network itself ends up being great advocacy because you can always find people that have had this battle before or maybe have a data point that you don't know about. Um, we don't have to, in many cases in, in music ed and in arts ed, we might be the only teacher in our district that teaches the subject. And so we never get the chance to, to communicate with others. 
the the professional network, you know, uh, NAFME, TMEA, any of those associations are where we develop those connections and how we do that in the in the arts education world. Yeah, absolutely. And and you are a hundred percent. Those networks um, oftentimes carry a great deal of uh, weight behind their advocacy efforts because they're representing a much larger body, and so mm-hmm. it's vitally important to participate in those as well. Well, Todd, man, your insights have just been so well appreciated. I, I really just thank you for coming on. Before we dial off, do you just have any closing thoughts or final advice that you want to share with our listeners today? Sure. Uh, you know, as I was thinking about this, um, one of the things that, that always brings me back to where I am, you know, I'm, I'm no longer in the classroom. So when I took, uh, when, I, when I stepped out of the classroom, my I had to really change my mindset a little bit about, uh, you know, how I knew that I was being successful in my role. You know, it wasn't always, I didn't get the, the student feedback or wasn't on the podium listening to what I had been able to do with students. And so for me, it, it, we always need to pause it and go back to where we started, right? And to, you know, for me, it's, it's I've returned to, to playing a lot more. Uh, you know, I, I'm a trombonist. And so that's really what started it all for me. And so it keeps me grounded and, and gives me my why, because I remember how important that was to me as a young kid and, and still is today. But I would encourage, you know, if you're a music educator out there, stay grounded, stay invested in what we do. Uh, remember that, but also remember to take care of yourself. Um, you know, mental health in our in our profession is a is a big thing right now, and we have to keep keep ourselves in check and to make sure that we are healthy for our kids. So that that's really just kind of my parting advice in all of this, regardless of what happens in the advocacy sphere or what you're having to do in your own local community. Uh, take care of yourself so that you can take care of your kids. Yeah, great insight, Todd, and 100 percent correct. Well, listen, it's just been wonderful to sit down, spend a few minutes with you today. This conversation yeah. has flown by, and I think we could <laughs> we could go on for another couple of hours. But out of respect for your time, i just so appreciative of everything you do. And, of course, being a Tennessee resident myself, I'm so thankful that we have somebody like you who is filling that advocacy seat and ensuring that – you know, that the arts and music educators are are represented uh, at the Tennessee Department of Education. So thank you for everything that you're doing uh, to make music and arts an important part of our education process. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. And happy to join today. That's Todd Shipley, Director of Arts Education for the Tennessee Department of Education, talking with Nick Averwater here on After Hours, Conversations for Music Educators, which is presented by Amro Music. This podcast is produced by Nick Averwater, Emily McGee, and Joel Hurd in Memphis, Tennessee. And you can hear many more conversations at amromusic.com slash after hours. Hey, if you enjoyed today's episode, here are two easy and fast ways you can support the After Hours show. First, your five-star review means a lot as it helps to boost us in the podcast rankings so that other music educators, just like you, can find us. Second, if you thought of someone that would enjoy this week's content and episode, hey, please share it with them so that they too can be a part of the After Hours community. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week.